Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion for 619 The Last Gauntlet, as well as 620 Kara, the two-part series finale of Supergirl. Yeah. So for this episode, instead of the sort of traditional episode analysis we've done for premieres and finales in the past or a regular topic episode, we have decided to discuss the finale within the context of season six as a whole by analyzing the storytelling itself. But actually, before we jump into that, we have have an announcement to make. Yeah, starting on Monday, November 29th, Supergirl's Attic will host a farewell to Supergirl week in order to celebrate the series. Yeah, it will be structured like a classic Supergirl fandom content creation week where each day is a different theme anyone can use as a prompt for gifts, fan fiction, etc. And then it will culminate in our first ever live Supergirl's Attic episode on Sunday, December 5th, where you'll be able to ask us questions live and share your thoughts with us in real time. Keep an eye on our site where we'll post updates on that event and also let you know specifically what time and what that means for you in your time zone. Yes. So for this episode, looking at the storytelling of season six, including in the two-part finale, we wanted to take a look at the sort of ingredients of a story, starting with the themes of this season of Supergirl and Supergirl in general. And one of the major themes we've seen across the series has been identity, which is a theme quite central to the superhero genre in general. Mm -hmm. Stronger Together is pretty much the core theme or the thesis of the show. Mm -hmm. And then we have this season, they announced power, and it was quite clear in the text. <laughs> and then related to themes, we have motifs, which are symbols or ideas that reoccur throughout a story, which examine the themes, often complementing or challenging them. For instance, we have truth for Supergirl. Mm. Yeah. We have family or home and a couple sort of sub motifs like found family. Mm. And then this season, similar to season four, also had a motif with sibling conflicts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we also have the motif of accountability, which we will talk about with regard to the other sub motif of crime and punishment. Mm. And then, you know, the Phantom Zone is kind of a symbol of that. And then this motif of loneliness that we've seen throughout the series, in particular with Kara. Mm. And these all interact with the themes, such as like accountability, interacting with power and identity, those themes, and then family, interacting with stronger together, obviously. Mm. <laughs> they interact to say something about the themes. For instance, to manage power and to become stronger together, you must be truthful. So we have themes and we have motifs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a couple of core ingredients, characters, in particular, their desires and their fears mm. must be present in the text. And then the thing tying the themes and, you know, the characters' desires and fears together is a story structure. Yeah. And Supergirl for their seasons tends to use a three-act structure. Mm -hmm. Within an episode, they don't do that. But for each season as a whole, it's fairly clearly broken up into an act one, act two, act three. Mm -hmm. And so in the first act, you have the setup, which is where the main ideas are introduced. We find out what things characters want, maybe things they're afraid of. We find out the major theme of the season and then how it also maybe is going to interplay with the series-long themes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a shift into the second act, which is typically called like the confrontation. It's the point at which something new is introduced that's a challenge maybe to the characters. Mm -hmm. There's a gradual escalation of stakes in the story. People's paths start turning in divergent directions. Mm -hmm. And then in the third act, you have typically a resolution of some kind. So as you get into the third act, which is usually the last maybe four or five episodes of the season, you have a very rapid escalation of stakes to get them to a very high point. So kind of like the peak or the climax of the story. And then there's, with Supergirl, a very quick falling action and closure. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's about where the finale lies. Yes. Very firmly all of those things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so looking at, you know, our lead character, Kara, her arc in this season in particular, will use these different elements, the desires, fears, themes, and the three-act structure that Supergirl uses for the season. Kara's desire 
that we've seen throughout the season and the series was most clearly articulated at the beginning of the second half when Kara returned to Earth when she said, I don't want to be alone anymore. But she has this fear, which is like, if Kara fails, her loved ones, the Earth and, you know, the, the universe will die. Which seems perhaps like an extreme fear. But remember, she did watch that happen yeah. once already in her life. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so Kara believes that in order to prevent her fear from happening, she must give up her desires. And so she must be alone in one way or another. And so this season, her arc primarily explores the themes of power and stronger together through the confrontation of this belief that she has to be alone. So let's break down the season's theme, power, quite closely. Mm. For Kara, we have Act 1, obviously the first episode of the season, all the way to Fear Not, episode 7. Yes, so that's the chunk from when Kara gets sent to the Phantom Zone to when they finally rescue her. Yes. And so one way to summarize that act with regard to the power theme is that Kara and the others feel more powerless than ever. And she articulates her fear, like, I was naive and arrogant to think that I could ever actually fix anything. And worse, my friends think they can too, and they're just going to die because of it. So it's related to, I thought I had power, but I don't. And my worst fear is going to happen because of that belief. And then Kara actually, at the end of the act, chooses to believe that together they can fix things because of the speech that her father gives her. And the climax of Act 1 is Kara is saved, but then as a result, Nixley comes to Earth. And that propels us into Act 2, which is the mm -hmm. confrontation. And that's Welcome Back Kara, all the way to Hope for Tomorrow episode 15. Yes. And so the way to summarize that with regard to power is the consequences of Kara being powerless, needing help, means Nixley, you know, wreaks havoc on National City. Yeah. And so prior to the midpoint of both the season and the second act, which is episode 12, Mixie in the middle, Kara grapples with the negative effects that her being weak or powerless has on other people. Specifically, we see her reacting to the phantom attacks and finding out that they hurt people. Mm -hmm. But she takes tentative positive steps towards stronger together as a way to face her fear. With Alex, she admits that she felt powerless in the Phantom Zone and says, I don't want to be alone anymore, which is her big fear of the season. Mm -hmm. She commits to the Stronger Together principle with her articles at CatCo. And then she's able to get Orlando to help her work together to save the Ormfell building from the mean councilwoman. <laughs> so she's very clearly, you know, learning to open up in that way of like letting other people share in the burden. Mm, yeah. Sharing the power in that sense. But then we reach the midpoint, Mixie in the middle. Literally. Yeah. And Kara fails to fix things, that thing that she decided to believe in, um, in Fear Not. And she puts her loved ones in danger, which is her big fear, because of her belief in Stronger Together, which is the very thing that Mixie says before he sacrifices himself and is trapped in the orb that Nixley will carry around with her throughout the season. And so Kara decides, you know, this time no holding back in attaining the totems and her quest for more power begins. Mm. Yeah. And she even says this explicitly after we pass this midpoint in the season where she's talking about Nixie and says, if I have to fight her, I'm going to need every bit of power I can find and then some, which mm -hmm is a little bit of a change for Kara. Yeah. <laughs> and she becomes disconnected from the struggles of the characters we met, Orlando and Joey, and their community's difficulties. So mm -hmm. drifting away from her own core value of Stronger Together. Yeah. She sacrifices her well-being in favor of maintaining this mental lick with Nixie, saying that, you know, her trust in their ability to fix things without that advantage is low. Mm -hmm. And then she repeatedly pushes Lena to use her newly discovered magic in ways that she's not quite ready to do or isn't comfortable with, mm -hmm. and also makes everyone lose a bit of their humanity at one point in order to have enough power to stop Nixley. Yes. And so this leads up to the Act 2 climax, which in storytelling is often a kind of false victory. So Kara comes to a, like, in quotes, realization that in order to keep everyone safe, she must destroy what are basically symbols of power. She chooses the hope totem to destroy. And she also chooses <laughs> to destroy the nuclear warheads 
And at the end of the episode, she feels good about both of those decisions. But, you know, through the rest of the season, we know that this still wasn't quite right. And she's still holding power on her own in acting in that unilateral way. She hasn't learned what she needs to for the arc to be complete, which is that it's not about the power itself. It's about the support and equal distribution of it. And it's about, you know, Elmira. And this is actually where we see the truth motif come in as a way to facilitate teamwork and togetherness, to facilitate that stronger together and to interact with the power theme. So then we come to Act 3, which is the resolution. And the resolution begins with Episode 16, Nightmare in National City, and Mm -hmm. ends with Kara, of course. Mm. Yeah. And so 16 is a pretty clear transition point into the third act because you also have the resolution to Nia's Mm. issues because she was the one who brought Nixley in in the beginning of Act 2. And so here they have a kind of closure on Nia's feelings about that whole conflict. Right. And it's an incomplete victory with one of the totems as far as the power thing is concerned because Nia doesn't win the totem. But we see something about her kind of owning her own power as a person. And there's also that like motif of siblings and betrayal by siblings with her and the issues with Maeve. Yeah. Coming to a bit of a kind of a closure. Yeah. Yeah. And so for Kara, the false victory that we mentioned at the climax of Act Two is revealed as such. She realizes that the Hope Totem was not really destroyed. It was just turned into something else. And... You know, we see her like sacrifice her job to be Supergirl. She makes a kind Mm -hmm. of escalated decision. And structurally, there's this other moment that happens within this kind of three act structure of a story, which is the aha moment when a Mm -hmm. character comes to the realization that they're supposed to. And Kara comes to this realization when she decides not to absorb the sun energy. And she gives up the chance to sort of single-handedly wield power at the expense of others. And like all life on Earth, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which then sets us up pretty immediately thereafter for the climax of the episode, which is when the protagonist uses what they've learned to win the battle. Mm. So Kara kind of stops what she's doing, realizes it's having this negative impact. Everyone's feeling some despair. Mm -hmm. She hears Orlando's voice and she is then inspired to use a stronger together based solution Mm -hmm. and distribute the all stone power to everyone using a hope speech. Yes. And then the ultimate resolution for Kara in the season and the series is that she comes around to accepting that the world doesn't need her to hold it all on her shoulders alone and that there's room for other people to help her. So she's free to then be her whole self and make space to do the things that she wants. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is the conclusion to the theme of power with relation to Kara. And so Kara and this power theme, it's fairly structurally strong, as we laid out here. And it's also clearly relevant to like the times we are living in Mm -hmm. and specifically the messages they wanted to tell about the nature of power. However, the ways that it doesn't work as well are as a conclusion for the character of Kara and for the series as a whole, because what they said about power doesn't really follow from the rest of the series in the same way. Mm. Yeah. And there's a lot that they actually didn't say about all of the other relevant themes, for instance, Stronger Together. Mm. Kara, as we know, has this deep personal desire of that, like, I don't want to be alone anymore, which was born from, like, the very first minute of the first episode of the series where she's suddenly forced to be totally alone. Mm. So throughout the series, despite her belief in hope and togetherness that she has repeatedly demonstrated, she's also struggled with whether or not who she is, her identity, tying in that theme, means she doesn't get to not be alone. Mm, Yeah. We've seen how Elmayara and identity have interplayed with each other. This season, Kara finally feels like she doesn't have to hold the weight of the world on her shoulders as a superhero. But, you know, what about all the other ways that her identities make her feel like she'll be alone forever? Mm, Yeah. Particularly, actually, around the motif of family or found family, specifically, as a kind of representative of that stronger together theme 
and the ways that it interacts with the then identity theme, we get sort of two easy answers with regard to that. Yeah. So the first piece is that we've seen Kara struggle with the idea of being Kara Zorel and honoring her parents in the wake of losing them and losing her culture. Mm-hmm. And then this season just kind of gave Zorel back to her briefly and then he left and she never really mentions it again. Mm-hmm. And then kind of related to that, there was also this struggle that she had for a large part of the series of kind of like, what if loving the Danvers family makes me less connected to my birth family? And she goes from that to referring to Jeremiah as dad, even though she never previously had seemed to have a super close relationship with him. Yeah. And it wasn't quite the same progression that we saw gradually happen, such as with Eliza. Mm, Yeah. And then there's also this thing that Carr struggled with with regard to her identity. Like, what if I'm too weird? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kara struggling in her experience as an alien in this season is both implied to be sort of fixed. <laughs> yeah. And somehow actively a hindrance to, like, Alex's new family. And then there's this thing with regard to identity that's floated over Kara's head. Like, what if being an alien or a superhero gets my family killed? Mm. And that was, you know, addressed. But then after that actually does happen, when William dies, Kara decides she can choose to become just Kara without ever, like, even talking about it with Alex. After years of Alex telling Kara to hide who she is to protect their family and each other. Yeah, and that was definitely a little bit tying a bow on it too Mm. neatly in a strange way, just because this season introduced this motif around siblings and betrayal by siblings. And it seemed like there was a progression and it was leading up to the confrontations between Kara and Alex that we saw. And then it, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Just sort of fizzled out. Yeah. We start off with the idea of, you know, Nixley being hurt by her family. And eventually we find out that the actual deep wound was her brother and feeling like her brother had betrayed her. Mm. And then we specifically had instances with the characters who are in our family group mm-hmm. who were younger siblings who had been hurt emotionally and very personally, in a way, core to their identity by their older sibling. Hmm. And you had that with Lena and Lex in the first act. And you had it with Nia and Maeve at the transition from the second to the third act. And so then we get to the end of the third act. And Alex does several things that should be considered emotional betrayals of her relationship with Kara. But then the text kept positioning Alex as being right and kind of just leaves Kara's emotional journey hanging. Mm. And it was just an odd choice with that conflict between Alex and Kara about Esme first with the powers and then with her just general safety and security. Because Alex has done this before. Like, this isn't totally an out-of-character thing. Mm -hmm. But if you think back to when Alex behaved this way in season two surrounding Jeremiah's return and Kara's kind of hesitancy, the story clearly told us that Alex was wrong in that case and that Alex's reaction was cruel. Mm -hmm. And there was also kind of a beat in season three where Alex was mad at Kara in a similar way when Kara decided to take her home to Midvale after she broke up with Maggie. And she says very derisively, you know, whatever Kara says goes, right? Kara knows best. (laughs) But we're supposed to understand that that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Whereas this season just decided that was accurate. Yes. <laughs> and so along with that, in terms of sort of inconsistent characterization with regard to how these things have been wrapped up, we also have some odd messages. For instance, Kara's, you know, fear of like, what if I'm too much of a burden? What if who mm-hmm. I am hurts my family? We see how that shows up. In the season. In the first act, yeah. Yeah. And then Alex and Kara don't really connect for most of Act 2 and Act 3, when Kara is also obviously struggling. And then Alex, on the other hand, is sort of moving forward with Kelly. It sort of sends the message that Alex, in fact, is happier for having less Kara in her life. Yeah, which was sort of strange because they started off the season with Alex like so depressed she didn't want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And the way they kicked off Act 2 was in Alex talking to Kara, like, we'll work through this together. Yeah, like, you have me. You're not really alone. And reiterates that point that she made in season three of, like, you know, you have me no matter what else. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, then they mostly were only arguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of inconsistent messages, we have what if my Kryptonian or superhero values damage my relationship with Alex? Do I belong to this family <laughs> that we've seen pop up for Kara in interesting ways? But then despite the way that Alex in Act 1 stood by and chose to believe in Kara's values, she then makes it clear that Kara will in fact not be a part of her family anymore if she gets in Alex's way trying to save her daughter, which then, of course, goes against Kara's values. And it really ties back to this core part of their relationship that we saw in season one, which was Kara saying, like, I need your faith, Alex, more than that cape, more than anyone's. And we've seen throughout the series how Kara does have Alex's faith. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's proven it time and again. And yet in this season, Kara doesn't really have Alex's faith. No. And at the point when you'd most Mm -hmm. anticipate it. So yeah. (laughs) Especially as a form of growth. Yeah. And then further, Kara fails to decide that what she believes in, you know, that part of her identity is actually worth standing up to Alex for. So she fails to believe in herself apart from that faith. Yeah. Which was extra strange because we've seen her do it plenty of times before. And specifically, if you think back to in season three, when everyone was telling Kara that her approach to the world killers was wrong. Mm -hmm. And Alex was really in the episode with Julia. Mm going so far the other way and Kara was like hey no yeah but they had that conflict there too where Alex was like fine we'll do it your way and then when that fails we'll do it my way (laughs) yeah but there was no conceding and there was no exploration of kind of why right and there was no closure to it which made it stranger because then it kind of validated all the bad behavior Mm -hmm. and then kind of speaking of other issues with just messages getting kind of muddled or being lost. Mm. Some of the things that they said about identity, particularly related to Kara, were a little odd just because Kara frequently has represented so many kinds of identity that exist on a spectrum Mm. or that are representative of people who live in kind of in-between spaces of identity. And that was very flattened out in her kind of quick wrap-up in the last 10 minutes of the episode. And so kind of compressing all of Kara's issues and complex identity into an authenticity or a coming out metaphor Hmm. really removes all of the other things that her identity has represented throughout the series. Hmm. And they're all things that prior seasons have addressed and that are actually still really relevant issues that just saying be yourself like doesn't fix. So, for example, first or second generation immigrants who are bicultural, like that's something that the series typically does extremely well with Kara, mm-hmm. being representative of people who are mixed race or of multiple ethnicities and also representing people who are neurodiverse like Kara with the powers they really played this up quite heavily in early seasons you know is very similar to someone who has different sorts of sensory disabilities Hmm. and so kind of wiping all that out of the conflict over should I tell people shouldn't I tell people Hmm. made some of the ending fall flat a little bit because it makes it seem like all of her quote unhappiness is just because she isn't telling like every person she's ever met everything about her rather than it being because she just doesn't have communities or spaces where she can embrace and discuss those different elements of who she is. And then the other part that was weird was that the few times that she actually tried to share those personal experiences, she got shut down for it. Mm, Yeah. And then never mentioned it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which would, you know, be the perfect opportunity to explore some of that and reinforce the Stronger Together theme. So we talked about Elmayara and identity as these themes that the show didn't super thoroughly explore or explore in the ways that we would have expected it to. The theme of power, though it was structurally sound in this season and quite present, (laughs) was pretty inconsistent with the messages of the show in prior seasons. Yeah, the kind of takeaway that I at least saw from it was something that I just remember hearing in like European history in like the eighth grade, Mm -hmm. which is the idea of like absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it doesn't matter who has power. If you have it and you have too much of it, it will lead you to always make bad decisions or 
do things that are harmful. Yeah, it's a very black and white, like prescribing goodness or badness to a kind of tool. Yeah. And again, kind of going back to this idea of things being maybe too simplified or being flattened out. Mm. We had a beat in episode 608 of saying like, hey, we can't just solve a problem by doing, you know, like one thing. It's too complicated for that. Yeah. But here the takeaway was kind of an unnuanced, well, these things represent ultimate power and now everyone's making terrible decisions. Right. And for Kara, especially in light of how we've seen her so gracefully handle having so much power and so much responsibility Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the series. And seeing the ways that she is, in fact, vulnerable. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. It was sort of a strange choice. I can kind of get the appeal of it in a way of kind of a deconstruction. But like your final season is an odd time for that, (laughs) (laughs) especially when the conclusion is like she does something really wrong. In the episode before the end of the series. Right. And it's also really not in line with who the supers are as heroes. Like, it's the antithesis of what those characters stand for and why they exist in the first place. Like, these are characters who were born out of the Depression era and World War II at times that were quite dark for all of humanity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we're to follow the logic presented in this season, then they shouldn't have existed because society was terrible. (laughs) But they were specifically designed to provide light, to provide hope, to provide a model for people to say, hey, we can be better. Mm. And so to see the show kind of veer away from that in a final season, when final seasons are typically a celebration of your character was, again, like a a choice. Uh (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the supers as these figures who came out of a dark time to be a symbol of, you know, hope, they are a power fantasy, which we often hear in negative terms as sort of like a reduction of the appeal of a certain figure. Like, you know, Batman is a power fantasy because he has all these cool gadgets and he can do whatever he wants. You know, Mm. the heart of why the supers are a power fantasy is not necessarily because they have all of these amazing abilities. A lot of superheroes have abilities. It is what they choose to do with them that makes it sort of a fantasy. (laughs) This idea that like, oh, there's someone out there who would choose to do what is right if they had the power. And that intersects with, you know, identity and how Clark and Kara represent marginalized identities as aliens. And Mm. Clark then is a friend because he exists to prove that aliens are not to be feared and that they can be trusted to have power, that you don't have to take it away from them or remove them of rights, etc. Yeah. Well, and the other thing there that makes this like an odd message choice is the show's already dealt with this a little bit in prior seasons, especially in season four. And the whole point is that villain characters fear Kara and Clark Mm -hmm. because of their power, because the villains, if given the opportunity, would use that power in bad ways. Mm -hmm. So to have a season where, like, you're kind of validating Lex Luthor... Is, is odd. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the show also started from a place of Kara really finding empowerment as an alien and embracing that part of her identity. You know, that is what the joy of her, mm-hmm. like, lifting up into the air was about. And also as a woman, as was made clear in the first season. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as a Kryptonian with this legacy to share, this legacy that she was really concerned with. And she had a specific perspective to give to the world that no one else could. And there was a power in that. And doing so for her was joyful. Yeah. And while I appreciate the idea of really exploring what it'd be like to push this character to a breaking point, as fans who are looking for the reflection on kind of what the series has meant, what the character has meant, Kara didn't experience really any joy Mm-mm. or enjoyment of things for most of the season. Yeah. And that for a character who is inspirational to a lot of people who struggle in their real lives was like not maybe comforting. <laughs> no. Well, the show can reach some emotional heights and and have like quite traumatic moments for the characters. They can go to quite dark places, but that mm-hmm. is also usually balanced by a degree of 
levity and joy and love of life, love of what they do. And that wasn't really present this season. No. And the other piece of it, too, is like this coming on the heels of the crisis crossover where Kara was deemed the paragon of hope because everything she had already experienced in her life was so awful Mm -hmm. that like no normal person could have come out (laughs) of that okay. But also like she survived sitting in an abyss with like six people and Lex Luthor knowing that everyone she ever loved was dead Mm -hmm. and was still able to find the determination to go on and to negotiate people out of making bad choices and Mm -hmm. So I think part of the problem was just there wasn't enough introspection from Kara. Mm -hmm. There wasn't enough of her voice as to why she was thinking she was so afraid and needed to do the things that she was doing, especially throughout the second act in particular. Yeah. Well, I also think it just wasn't properly set up within the plot to explain in a natural way why she would be reaching these extremes. Mm, Yeah. Given everything that we've seen from her. And, you know, going back to this idea of things being too easy, in giving Kara an out sort of to be happy without honoring the complicated parts of that decision in the finale. This season fails to demonstrate why Supergirl and the people like her are important. And, you know, how it's not like just her physical strength or ability to give hope speeches that make her valuable. It is her willingness to do what is right in difficult situations and to use the power she has for good. And a big part of her story is figuring out how to do that while still finding happiness and discovering how to share the weight of the world. But Kara discovering that she's actually kind of bad at helping people so that she should do it less is a bit too easy of a solution. And in terms of the core stronger together message of the show, having Kara make poor moral decisions that she never previously would doesn't really demonstrate the value of everyone working together the way that they may have imagined. It sort of encourages this idea that Maybe people can't be trusted with power. If even Supergirl is making these terrible decisions that are quite obvious to us as an audience as bad decisions, then, I mean, who can be trusted? Mm, Yeah. Well, and also the fact that they isolated her from everyone, which I've talked about before. They did this thing they did a little bit this season, which is like a cheat where they take away the characters who would be a voice of reason Mm. and just don't have them interact with the character who needs to make a poor decision. And then to change gears a little bit, I do want to circle around to the motif that we mentioned of crime and punishment, because this was something that we actually talked about in the podcast during the first act of the season, Hmm. because it seemed like it was very deliberately being set up to recur throughout the whole season. And so if you go back to those first seven episodes, there are a number of things that kind of build this idea of crime, who's committing the crimes, how are they being punished, are they being punished fairly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Lex and how he gets away with everything during that trial. That he's ever done ever yeah. in his life. Yeah. <laughs> and just because of who he is, he gets away with it, as opposed to later in Act Two, we see with Nick Slee and how those with marginalized identities get punished forever. <laughs> mm, yeah. We also had quite early on our introduction to Nick Slee, and we found out why she was trapped in the Phantom Zone. Because she was plotting to kill her dad. Mm, yes. Yeah. Nick Slee was attempting to overthrow a corrupt leader, which reminds me a lot of someone from season one. <laughs> <gasps> Gasp. Wow. Astra. Astra, who also didn't believe in people, as Kara said. She was also sent to the Phantom Zone for trying to change a society's genuine faults. <laughs> trying to change their faults. That's such a <laughs> gentle way of putting it. <laughs> but then was betrayed by a sibling. Ooh, speaking of a motif. Mm-hmm. Resulting in her being sent to the Phantom Zone. And so for each of them, Astra and Nixley, Carr becomes this kind of interesting symbol for the siblings who betrayed them. Mm, yeah. Because she is Alora's daughter and she has those same values that Alora had and we find out has. And then with Nixley, because Carr betrayed her <laughs> by not agreeing with her plan to leave behind Kara's father. And so we see in a twisted way how Nixley felt like she was protecting Kara. He banished you, Kara, just like my father banished me. And she's like, I let him live for you. <laughs> and then, you know, you compare that to what Nixley said to her brother, which is like, there's nothing I wouldn't have done to protect you. Mm. 
Yeah. And so that part was kind of fun with Kara in the Phantom Zone because we see her once again in kind of a return to prior seasons of the series. Hmm. She's at least subtextually learning from her mom's mistakes regarding her ideas of justice because she is seeing firsthand the impact of Alora's decisions in how the Phantom Zone was set up to, to bring prisoners in from Krypton and how it negatively affected people other than herself hmm. to be there and also including herself because she actually says in season one that she and Astra were both given life sentences. Yeah, which is funny then the comparison between Astra and Nixley because mm. Kara literally ends up in the Phantom Zone with her. She does. Aww. <laughs> And then so we move into the second act when Kara returns from the Phantom Zone and this motif of kind of crime and punishment gets developed much more thoroughly and is very present throughout the second act because we're very quickly introduced to Orlando and the other aliens who have been arrested and are being used by a for-profit prison for kind Mm -hmm. of underhanded shady reasons. That morphs into a conversation about recidivism, which is the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend and commit further crimes. Mm-hmm. Orlando talks a bunch about his record preventing him from being able to find legitimate work or housing, which means that he can't get his younger brother back and leaves him vulnerable to reoffending in order to get money, and that would put him back in the prison system. Mm-hmm. We also see the resurfacing of Mitch, our doofy alien from the flashbacks <laughs> in the first act, mm-hmm. and find out that he too reoffended because it's easier than trying to start over the slow way, mm-hmm. which is partly then why he teams up with Nixley, because he sees that as like a quick avenue to bypassing all the hard work and just getting what he wants. Mm-hmm. Within this conversation, there's also this idea of like a lack of hope mm-hmm. in the way that the system treats these people. And there's like a disinterest in connecting to them and giving them resources or opportunities to change, at least as far as they're able Yeah, which was, you know, Alora's big failing as a proponent of compassion. Mm, Yeah. Speaking of compassion or lack thereof, (laughs) we'll come back to that with Lex. (laughs) In the midst of all of this, we also get introduced to the group home that Kelly visits when she first meets Joey. That's also where we meet Esme. And we see the power dampeners. So like how Nixley had a cuff on her in the Phantom Zone that was preventing her from using her magic. Mm-hmm. These children are also being essentially punished, and in this case unfairly, for just having powers. We see the leader of the group home essentially using corporal punishment on Joey by amping up the power dampeners until it physically hurts him. Mm-hmm. So this is like a thing that's illegal <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. do in real life in hopefully all child care settings. <laughs> We also have the issue of Esme's caretakers getting punished, presumably, for the ways they've mistreated her. The original leader of her group home is removed thanks to Kelly's intervention. And then Esme finds a set of foster parents, and we think this is like a good start. But then we see they also end up using her in harmful ways because she is an alien and they see her as kind of like a tool and only in terms of what her powers can do for them. Mm -hmm. And they put her in very dangerous situations. As a result of that, we also see this interesting idea with Esme of her believing that anything bad that happens to her is a punishment, kind of like Alex thinks that things bad happening to her are a punishment. Mm. But with Esme specifically for not being able to control her powers, like that if that happens then bad stuff happens and she loses people and things that she cares about. Yeah. And then we hit the midpoint of the season and the middle of Act Two, which is Mixie in the middle, where everyone's suggesting that they send Nixley back to the Phantom Zone. And Kara says no, mm-hmm. because, you know, she just thinks it's morally wrong. It was a bad idea when Allura did it. It's a bad idea now. Mm-hmm. It made Nixley worse. And it's kind of similar to the real life idea that capital punishment is unjust and should not be used no matter how angry you are at someone. Yeah. And related to this idea of crime and punishment and recidivism, the question pops up of like, can a person improve themselves, improve their lives? What are the obstacles for them in doing that? Kara likes to give people the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've talked about before a lot how she helps people see a different path. <laughs> mm, yeah. Live wire, for example. 
Right. Yes. And at the midpoint in Act Two, we see how Nixley is just not interested <laughs> in improving herself. Carr yeah. gives this big speech, like, you know, <laughs> we could be stronger together. We can help you. And Nixley's like, nah. <laughs> so we see that from Nixley. But then in Act Three, we see demonstrated time and again how Nixley is not someone like Lex, <laughs> who is entirely irredeemable. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a commentary on like a villain born from discrimination based on identity versus the just power hungry Lex who wants everything. Who is a sociopath. <laughs> yes. And a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Nixley at the very end of the season demonstrates love of Esme. Yes. And she actually protects Esme against Lex and activates the love totem. Mm. Which I kind of liked as a connection sort of to her fierce desire that we've seen in both Act 1 and Act 2 to protect people she thinks are vulnerable. Like when she first finds Kara in the Phantom Zone, she immediately goes to help her Hmm. without having any context. And then we see in her courage gauntlet in the second act all of the ways that she was willing to protect her brother. Mm, Yeah, which is uh, not a Lex thing. No. And it reminds me again of Astra Mm. in terms of her as a complicated character and the way that she loved Kara, you know, her niece, and the way that Astra had conflict with Nan because Nan wanted to just kill Kara. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like a Lex person. (laughs) Yep. And Nixley gives this little speech to Esme that's like twisted, but also good. (laughs) It was interesting. It was a little bit inappropriate for children, but Mm -hmm. it came around to a good conclusion. It did, yes. She says uh, about her father when she was little, and then he tried to slit my throat. And Esme, understandably, is like, I don't like that story. That kid deserves (laughs) kudos for a line delivery on that. That was good. Yeah. And then (laughs) Nixley says, I don't blame you. And she says, little one, which was Astra's term of endearment for Kara. And Nixley says, my point is, just because scary things happen to us sometimes, it doesn't mean that we are always destined for only bad things. And it reminded me in this comparison of Astra and Nixley of in For the Girl Who Has Everything in season one, when Astra is dying and Kara says to her, when I was under the Black Mercy, you were there. And Astra says, as your enemy. And Kara responds, as my family. And Kara, in that season, you know, really regretted how that went. (laughs) She says to Alex, I was getting through to her. If I had just a little more time, I could have brought her home. Mm. And, you know, tying back to this idea of like, just because a person does bad things or bad things happen to them doesn't mean that they are always destined for only bad things. And seeing sort of the potential that we saw in Astra in someone like Nixley through the way that she connected with Esme. And we see how after Esme and that interaction protecting her, Nixley decides actually to take down Lex. And even we see when they then turn and fight against Kara, when Lex takes the step of opening the Phantom Zone and bringing the Phantoms to Earth, Nixley's like, Lex, what are you doing? Like, she doesn't like Like, this is a brand of crazy that I want no part of. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But then things don't turn out well for Nixley. No, if we look at the idea of crime and punishment and what the season has said about justice, Lex and Nixley receive the same punishment, Mm. which is essentially the equivalent of capital punishment, Mm -hmm. even though they arguably are very different people Mm -hmm. and Nixley was potentially quite redeemable. Yeah. The size of Lex's crimes are quite vast. Yeah. So in terms of looking at how the messages about kind of crime and who commits crime, how they are punished for it, if it's fair, Hmm. how society treats people for crime, Mm -hmm. that one kind of lost track of itself. There was also the issue of they did all this setup with Orlando and Joey. And then after Nixley uses Kara's connection to Orlando and her investment in helping him with the Ormfell building to actively cause harm to Kara personally and then also all these other people, mm-hmm. Orlando largely stops existing in the minds of all the characters. Uh, I think there's like one maybe brief mention of, of Kelly checking in at some mm-hmm. point. But he mostly just disappears until it's like the designated time in the finale for people to like learn a lesson mm-hmm. about hope. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, a losing of that thread and that representation of like the way that a person is more than a crime they committed. 
Yeah, and there was a little bit of a losing the sense of, like, how did he succeed Mm. at getting himself out of that where other characters maybe failed. Yeah, and then we see, you know, the ways that the acceptable self-reforms are from Lena and Andrea, who experience no actual concrete consequences for their actions Lena trying to brainwash the world and oh, yeah. using kryptonite yeah. on Kara. Right. Myriad. <laughs> yes. The thing that Astro went to jail for. <laughs> and then Andrea, who mismanaged Catco so thoroughly that someone died, William. And mm-hmm. both of those characters hurt in world's minority characters, William and then Kara as an alien. Mm-hmm. And so Lena and Andrea were probably the characters who had the most fleshed out within the narrative sort of redemption without any sort of consequence. Mm. Well, and also, too, like they had the most time devoted to redemptive acts while kind of, and in Lena's case, especially skirting around mm-hmm. the things she was redeeming herself for. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the finale episode, they even got another line in that Kara said, like, my identity hurt my friendships. And Lena's like, yeah, we did have a bit of a rough patch. And it sort of puts... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, Poisoning someone would be a rough patch. <laughs> and it puts, again, the blame on Kara. After they had had a genuine, like, recognition of the scale of what Lena did to Kara, mm-hmm. they went back on it several times this season. Well, yeah, and that kind of ties back to what I said earlier about just there was like a compressing and a flattening Mm. of issues. And I mean, some of it was just with the way they had to apportion time to different elements of story and juggle things. But there was also just a lot of time spent on stuff that ended up not mattering a whole lot Mm. that maybe might have been better spent on developing some of these ideas so that they landed a little bit more effectively at the end of the season. Yeah. For example, this last minute (laughs) surprise. That they snuck in, <laughs> snuck in. in the finale as they're leaving William's funeral, which is they are apparently going to reintroduce the existence of the DEO. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that started out as a symbol of oppression of aliens mm-hmm. in season one and also a little bit in season two. It did not have the best of reputations, mm-hmm. which they dealt with in season three. And then there was some kind of backsliding in season four because Colonel Haley came in and then they messed with it in crisis and had like Lex own it. So then it was like it's owned by a bad guy. So now we can say it's bad. Yeah. But it was like a strange, again, thinking about, you know, the concepts of power and then the motif with crime and punishment for a season that was being very mindful in some ways of what it wanted to say about how these things affect minority groups in particular. It was then a choice to not have the main characters who were actively responsible for participating in a kind of systemic oppression have any recognition or attempt to reconcile this fact. And it would have been nice to see, especially for Jean, because he didn't have a whole lot going on in the Mm -hmm. second half of the season. And also, we know he had an evolution of his views on other aliens and safety and security in seasons Mm -hmm. two and three because of his experience with Magan and the White Martian Rebellion, with finding his father and kind of letting go of some of his anger, and then also choosing actively to embrace Kara's values when she leaves to go to Argo and he promises to kind of keep keep things under control while she's gone. And that included some major reforms of the DEO, mm-hmm. which as soon as he left, newcomers came in and undid, which mm-hmm. is reflective of how, you know, it's not so easy as like you create a system and it's fine. Like it needs constant self-evaluation and external evaluation. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it, too, with Alex was like the end of this season did not do her character growth a lot of favors. Mm -hmm. She was kind of reduced to the like gun happy action hero who did not have any regard for rules or systems or really any trust in others at the end of the series and was very in that kind of conservative mindset of like, I look out for myself and my family the end. So knowing that she was the one who was like liaising with the government for parts of this season and that the United States government was ready to like shoot down Supergirl and arrest them all. (laughs) Why on earth? Was she three days later given clearance to co-lead this organization that is requires demonstrating good judgment? Mm-hmm. The other piece there is that it didn't feel like it was really serving any character growth or, or change for Alex. 
they've kind of just had her tag along after Jean ever since season four without any exploration into why she's doing that and not pursuing things that are maybe for herself Mm -hmm. or that are in keeping with her goal at the end of season three of like being less in the line of fire because that's dangerous and she (laughs) wants to like value her life now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is true. I mean, and the Dio stuff There has been development in terms of, like, their perspective from season one into season two, three, four. And then in season five, they had Lex take it over and make it more horrible. And then they destroyed it, which we (laughs) liked as a decision. And it fit in line with the rest of the season's messages. And I understand why it would be appealing to bring the DEO back, assuming that the characters have grown (laughs) and keeping in mind some of the other positive changes they made in the past. But it was just sort of missing that piece of consequences, I think, for the characters and or just emotionally like recognizing things were not necessarily as good as they could have been. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So that was our deconstruction of the themes and the way that they interacted with the three-act structure of the season. Before we move on to our little observations for these two episodes, we wanted to take a look at where the core characters started this season and where they ended up in this finale. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we'll start with Alex. In the beginning of the season... Alex starts out wanting to risk her life and possibly the safety of all of National City in order to save Kara in the Phantom Zone. But after some reflection, she's able to put that aside by thinking about Kara's values and that Kara would want her to do the thing that was best for the greater good. Mm -hmm. And so in sacrificing her own immediate wants and staying focused on that bigger goal, she ends up ultimately able to be the hero despite being the only one on the team who does not have powers and saves everyone, including Kara, eventually. Hmm. And then we get to the end of the season and she's presented with a similar challenge, which is whether or not to give in to Lex's demands in order to save Esme when that means endangering basically all of humanity because she's going to give Lex all of the totems and then he will have the Allstone. Mm-hmm. And she has kind of a breakdown at one point about being angry that she doesn't have powers. And then she decides that she's going to give in to the ransom demands. Mm -hmm. She takes the one totem straight out of Kara's hand. She tells her that she's going to do this because she doesn't trust that Kara will succeed. Mm -hmm. And she gives the bad guys everything they need to finish their evil plan. And then leaves Kara in such a bad place emotionally that she puts her own life and reputation at risk in an attempt to, like, find an alternative way to help. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, for those of you who maybe skipped the Earth-X crossover in season three, the plan that they use in the season finale here in season six of harnessing the sun is how Overgirl died in the Earth X crossover. Mm-hmm. So it was not exactly a safe plan. Mm. So it seems almost like Alex regresses from the beginning of the season to the mm-hmm. end. But then in the final pieces of the last episode, she is ultimately rewarded because she gets all of the things that she's wanted since season three, mm-hmm. which we were expecting, like all of those things to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's sort of that missing piece of realization of what the thing she's supposed to believe is, like that we would expect, which is like, oh, I can trust my family to protect each other and make things okay, And I can trust that things will turn out all right, which allows me to take some risk. But she didn't really have that realization and didn't get to have the moment where she makes the right decision. You know, that sort of heroic beat. And so for the third member of our core trio, we also have Jean, who this season grappled with, we've talked about a lot, like letting people in and that sort of emotional vulnerability and and moving away from feeling like he deep down is a monster and he can't let anyone see what that looks like. Yes. And we've seen it alluded to throughout the season with Jean on the negative effects of the bravery totem (laughs) being open with his admiration and affection and caring for Alex and Kara. 
and well, everyone generally, but specifically them. <laughs> and um, he starts to get more in, in touch with those feelings and sharing them. And so by the time we get to the finale where he officiates Alex's wedding and talks about how he knows her and, and Kelly and kind of gives them his blessing and starts to get a little teary eyed, <laughs> which we know from his previous conversations with Alex, they don't like. Uh, yeah. So that was really great to see. And then also as a gift to her, he used his uh, psychic powers to write a congratulations message in the sky for all to see. <laughs> all to see. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we also know, we found out from Wynn that he is going to, in the future, open himself up to growing his family because he is revealed to have a son. Yeah, which I loved for just the tiny fact, like I talked about in episode 17, that Jean getting to be grandpa was delightful because that's not like opening an old wound because it's not something he ever lost. Mm. And a son is also not something <laughs> he ever lost because he only has ever had daughters. So like, yeah, this is just so exciting. It's and perfect. Great. Yes. And then also the part of Jean as a character who has sort of represented in the show that's very like mothers and daughters and, and women, mm. the fatherhood and kind of carried on the legacy in terms of super stories of like the son becomes the father, the father becomes the son. And the way that we've seen Jean be <laughs> a beacon of fatherhood <laughs> throughout the series. Yes. And then let's add our semi-adopted extra sister, <laughs> yes, Nianel, to the dream team. <laughs> ha, uh, ha. Yeah, <laughs> Nia spends much of this season doubting her efficacy as dreamer and and doubting that she's like the right person for the job, doubting her ability to use her powers. <laughs> mm, yeah, until what I think is her climactic sort of battle at the beginning of Act Three in Nightmare National City with Maeve when Nia stands up for herself and trusts herself and also has a cool battle with Nixley. Mm, yeah. So emotional and physical battle. Well, and it's also a making up for the fact that she let Nixley out mm, yes. in, in her lack of confidence because she so desperately thought she needed her mom in order to guide her mm. that she made what she knew was a bad deal. Yeah, it sort of closes that loop. Mm -hmm. And then so everything after that is mostly icing on the cake. <laughs> the wedding cake from the, Alex's oh. wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, you know, of course, not losing one of the people that she has really needed to support her was nice. <laughs> Brainy got to stay. Yes. And I think it's also important that the way that she handled the possibility of losing Brainy proved that she has grown and that she didn't sort of crumble in terms of her own self-worth at the prospect of losing him. Because Nia before has used him as a gauge for whether or not she's doing well or whether or not she is of value. Mm. Yeah. And she also got that nice little kind of closing flash forward in the finale of her as dreamer creating a youth center for lgbtq mm -hmm. kids yeah with help from kelly and orlando which was cool yeah that was cool and speaking of kelly kelly this season struggled with feeling like she was a part of the team like that she had mm, power yeah. to help them and wasn't helpless to help them and that they would then support her in turn <laughs> that's it's almost sort of a community both directions are we okay together question. And so Kelly's beat with James in the finale was a nice way to reinforce mm, yeah. the strengthened support within their family circle. James says, I got something for you. As you know, not all heroes wear capes, reinforcing the fact that she is powerful. And he says, it's a signal watch upgraded by Alex so we can watch each other's backs anytime we need to. And there's sort of that reciprocity of like, I'll be there for you in a way that she has not always felt from James. And you know what else is really great about that? It continues this loop of like Alex and James are secretly buddies who chat all the time because <laughs> James also sent all the Guardian stuff and Alex had been oh, holding yeah. it as a surprise earlier oh. in the season. So I'm like, I'm loving it. <laughs> Me too. We love in-laws who are good pals. <laughs> yes. Excellent. And then we have Lena. I think I talked... Possibly last week, was it for episode 18? Yeah, about kind of different issues that adopted kids face, regardless of how much they love their family or not, in Lena's case. Um, <laughs> but Lena spent a decent chunk of this season having a traditional, like, adopted kid quest for truth in her identity mm -hmm. via exploring her mom's past after her encounter with the fear vision in Act One, kind of 
pushes her to to start exploring that more. Mm-hmm. And as we kind of saw them start to set up in the end of season five, Lena goes from the beginning of season six feeling very alone or on the outside of this family of friendly nerds um, <laughs> to feeling like it's a family into which she fits, like there's a space for her mm-hmm. and that she can be comfortable in sharing her feelings, sharing her ideas. And she also gradually learns how to contribute in meaningful ways and communicate with everybody in ways that work. Mm-hmm. And then she ends the series feeling like she finally understands herself and is free of all the baggage that came with both her father and the Luther name and mm-hmm. her mom's weird witch history. And then also of Lillian's kind of and Lex and their their psychological manipulations and mm-hmm. the abuse that she suffered there. And she says to Kara at the end that, you know, all of that had made her feel obligated to behave according to expectation or in certain ways that really weren't true to who she is. And now she's got room to figure that out. Yeah. Sort of tying into that question that Linda has had of like whether or not she can trust herself. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we have Brainy, who <laughs> deals with in this season questions of, of heart versus head, generally <laughs> as a character, heart versus head. He started the season having difficulty managing his <laughs> very big feelings after, you know, he is no longer inhibited emotionally and also is given the room socially to be open and doesn't have to suppress everything because he's trying to manipulate Lex. And so we see in the finale, Brainy initially make the decision to control his feelings. And he does feel confident in his ability to do that and to do what he's supposed to do. But then we see him come back and choose his heart, basically, which Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) could have been sold a little bit better or better articulated with just some line tweaking. Yeah, it was a little bit on first glance, like he was just like, whatever, (laughs) who needs the future? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, who needs the rest of my race? But, you know, Brainy here basically was choosing to believe that they would change the future enough to save the day and sort of believe that despite the odds, (laughs) he and his family and he and Nia specifically will be enough that, you know, the future is, is an open possibility. Indeed. So that wraps up our breakdown of the series finale and the final season of Supergirl. We have, of course, some little observations that we found to be fun. Yes. Specifically, all of Helen Slater's presence was a delight. As, as always. Usual. Yes. yes. <laughs> First of all, loved that she wandered in by uh, shooting the descending swarm of owls <laughs> that Nixie was sending out at Nia. Mm-hmm. First of all, there was that cute little line that was a nod to the Supergirl film between <laughs> Eliza and Alex, which was also cute as like a legacy thing. Yeah. Also fun was like, I always joke about how Alex's superpower is the fact that she has freakishly good aim. And apparently she inherited that from Eliza, who took out every last one of those owls with that shotgun. Eliza. Uh, Wow. What's going on? Does she just practice at home? Like this this new reality have you at the DEO a little bit? uh... Right. I know. I'm like, they never followed up on that. That would be fun. And also, I just like it for the fact that ever since season four, Eliza's kind of been like a little concerned about Nia. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just like added her as an extra child. And she's like, oh, I could get you a doctor for your narcolepsy. Yeah, and Nia's like, I don't have that, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, so that was also just cute in that way. Yeah. Speaking of bird theme, <laughs> the cycle's favorite thing about Kara. Kara <laughs> and Esme and their little lovebird birdhouse project <laughs> was just so cute. Yeah. Like, that was one thing I wondered if they were trying to set up for why Kara speaks up to Alex, and I don't know if it ever quite got there, but like... I think we were supposed to get the idea that Kara sees like a little bit of herself in Esme in a bunch of ways because Esme is also very artistic. Yeah. And we know that Kara is too. So that was just a cute little like bonding for them. It was nice. And Aunt Kara. Aunt Kara. And then she got a scene with Uncle James who did his signature move of giving (laughs) someone a camera. Yes. They're (laughs) imparting their skills upon the children. (laughs) Other delightful appearances. Kat, you had actually said would be your one that you would be delighted to see. Yes. If she turned up and she did, it's like we spoke it into existence. Wow. Cycles Power. actually has magic, guys. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. Um, watch out, Lena. <laughs> <laughs> Beware. <laughs> so her entrance was hilarious. I mean, I've kind of missed her, her humor. 
Mm -hmm. But also, I really appreciated that they just leaned into the water metaphors and just (laughs) kept getting increasingly intense. Like, this was her actively in a wetsuit, like, ready to literally dive into the ocean. Well, I Uh, like that because Carr earlier in the season was like, I'm drowning. And Kat's like, coming to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, excellent. And then last but not least, I, I will say for... All that Lex has perhaps overstayed his welcome. <laughs> I do always love John Cryer in that role, but also I kind of liked his like Disney vibe <laughs> that they had going on with his stuff in the finale. Like he explicitly made the Beauty and the Beast reference about the rose because like we were all thinking it. Uh, <laughs> and they just went there. I appreciate it. <laughs> but then also at the end when he like summons the phantoms and thinks that they're going to attack everybody, but then they attack him and like send him into the phantom zone. I was like, Mm -hmm. it was like the Lion King when Scar (laughs) thinks the hyenas are going to do his bidding and then they eat him instead. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is Mitch one of the hyenas? (gasps) Maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) What the hyenas were the phantoms. Oh, true. Lex should have known better than to to trust those things. They don't have souls. (laughs) (laughs) He can't manipulate them. No. And on that joyful note, <laughs> we will remind you again that we are going to host a creative week, which will start on November 29th, which is a week from today. Mm-hmm. It will last until Sunday, December 5th, when we will be doing a live podcast episode. And stay tuned on our website for further details yes. about how to participate in that. We will also be releasing that as a regular podcast episode if you guys aren't there for the live. And you guys can send us questions or comments at Supergirl's Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.